three, three, two, 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 one, one, zero, and snap. Hello and welcome to the Cult Film Companion Podcast. My name is Chris. I am your host, along with my co-hosts, Andrew and Travis. Would you gentlemen like me? Please introduce yourself to the audience, gentlemen. Andrew, I'm uh, an actor who is onward in his years and life and questioning everything. Amen to that. Uh, same thing, uh, Ooh, like Travis uh, Dominguez, actor, poet, skateboarder, yoga instructor, once or twice, and uh, just overall uh, enjoyer of entertainment. We're hoping we can bring a little of that love to you today. Wow, sounds good. Sounds good. And my, my sultry voice has just been a lifelong film fan for many, many years. This is a passion project of mine, and I was fortunate enough to come across two like-minded uh, gentlemen to discuss cult films with. And this week we are tackling a uh, 1992 movie directed by Abel Ferrar who's uh, notable for being a New York director that has a directs very gritty, realistic uh, thrillers, horror, drama. Um, doesn't get a lot of recognition in the States, but apparently has a recognition much more so in Europe and around the world. Uh, this movie is Bad Lieutenant which stars Harvey Keitel as the titular bad lieutenant. It was written in about 20 days by Abel Ferrar and Zoe Lund. Zoe Lund is an actress who formerly uh, was the lead in Abel Ferrar's earlier film, Miss 45. The cinematographer was Ken Kelsch. The film editor was Anthony Redman. And this movie was released on November 20th, 1992. It received uh, more worldwide recognition when it was played at the Cannes Film Festival in 1993. This movie received a four-star review from Roger Ebert. Martin Scorsese uh, named it as his fifth best movie of the 1990s. This movie is a... Um, character study of the bad lieutenant who has every vice under the sun drug addiction sex addiction gambling alcoholism and throughout all of this he is investigating the assault and rape of a nun which leads to um a redemption of sort for him and this movie is very much a character study of the bad lieutenant who um, goes unnamed in the movie. Uh, we're only, uh, ref he's only referred to as LT or Lieutenant. So now I'm going to open up the discussion to initial thoughts on bad lieutenant. Andrew. Oh boy. Uh... <laughs> All right. Um... From an actor's point of view. No, 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 no. Are... I can say, I can say okay. quite a bit. There's okay. um so the so I saw it when it first came out. I would I had just moved to New York City and um really um really enjoyed going to see a move 
movie made in New York City that was uh, very kind of alternative, off off the beaten path. And um, it's interesting seeing it again now. Uh, my my viewpoint on it is completely different. I've I've lived some of what is in that movie, so um, I was able to. Uh, it, it resonated with me in a way that it never could have before. Um, yeah. Interesting. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I I can go in a lot of different directions with this. Uh, yeah, go on. Travis, take it away. I'm going to take it away. Going to take it somewhere else because I'm going to Yeah, Man, I, I tell you, uh, I thought that I had seen this film before. Once I saw it, I was like, yeah, I, I can see why my mother did not take me to see this film. Um, brutal. Absolutely brutal. Um, having uh, having uh, struggled in the past with uh, uh, drug and alcohol addiction, um, it was uh, ex- exceedingly dead on point uh, with uh, with its portrayals. Uh, it, like so many things that, that I've seen in my life, it was just uh, it was heartbreaking. You know, it was a good reminder too. You know, it's uh, these things are. It's an excellent. An excellent PSA for not doing drugs. Amen. And uh, just something I wanted to point out, the uh, casting guy, Anthony Redman, actually had uh, an incredible career later on uh, teaming up with the likes of Method Man and Eric Sermon, uh, be putting out some of the greatest hip-hop albums uh, in the history of hip-hop. Wow. <laughs> and... Um... Yeah, Abel Ferrar, he often utilizes hip-hop in his movies, um, uh, which I guess is just telling of the New York setting, a lot of New York hip-hop. Um, not so much in this movie, though. <laughs> yeah. This movie this movie is very... It's almost like a documentary of this guy's life. And it's shot like a documentary. It's There's not a lot of... Um, soundtrack and there seems to be a lot of improvising both in front of and behind the camera after rewatching this movie there's actually a, a scene where the cameraman bumps into harvey keitel and they kept that take in the movie what uh, uh, yeah that's why we need <laughs> and, to watch these the... things together man but go ahead go ahead <laughs> and one of the later he, he does yeah i agree that's when that's when we should be watching it together and making these comments he he does similar stuff in his next movie, uh, Dangerous Game. Madonna saw Bad Lieutenant, loved it. Thought Abel Ferreira could. Is it Ferreira or Ferrer? Ah, uh, Ferreira, Ferreira, okay. like Ferrari, okay. but Ferreira. Right. I went to school with a girl named Kathy Ferreira, so I didn't know if I was mixing her name up with his. But oh. um, so yeah, Madonna, Madonna thought that Abel Ferreira could teach her how to act and be a movie star didn't really work out, but he does a lot of that kind of thing in dangerous game where it's, there's a movie within the movie, but he's slating. He's when a scene cuts, he's actually filming real stuff that's going on on the set and calling it uh, the movie outside of the movie. If that makes any sense at all. Yes. It seems like, it seems like that would be a, a very complicated, uh, um, scene to direct 
because you have two sets of crews. You have the actual film crew, then you have the film crew that's being filmed by the film crew. Well, I'll bet his own film crew is the movie within the movie. So let's, but let's get back to Bad Lieutenant. I think he definitely wants to go for realism. I mean, that's that's indisputable. I, my suspicion, and I, and I know you guys probably think that I just put this into because I said this about After Hours, Linda Fiorentino's character. But my suspicion, I don't know how he could get away with this with the unions, but my suspicion is that a lot of the drug usage in Bad Lieutenant is actually real. Uh, I can confirm that uh, Abel Ferrara himself was on drugs during the making of this movie. Yeah. I I attempted to watch the movie with the director's commentary, and never have I felt a director's commentary was so useless because <laughs> he, is, he seems very disinterested in the movie itself during the commentary, and also he makes a lot of technical mis errors in regards to talking about the movie that are corrected by, uh, thankfully that he's not doing the, the commentary by himself, he's doing it with uh, Ken Kelsch, the cinematographer, who is able to correct Ferreira about many of the technical things in regards to the movie. But um, the, the drug use was definitely... Um, Abel Ferrara was uh, candid about his drug use during the movie. The screenwriter, Zoe Lund, uh, glamorized and um, spoke openly about her own heroin addiction. Um, she later uh, <laughs> the died because of, of chronic... <laughs> Sorry. No, she, she... She glamorized it. She loved... Um, uh, she loved heroin, oh, and uh, ultimately that, ultimately that, and the chronic cocaine use um, ended her life. But she mm. she wrote the major she wrote the majority of this movie. Um, so yes, this is a very drug fueled uh, production. It's actually hinted at that um, this the, she's actually in the movie. She's uh, Harvey Keitel's uh, drug buddy, the one that she does, uh, she does okay. heroin with twice in the movie. Oh, the the sister. I didn't, I didn't know that she, I didn't know that the lead of Ms. Forty Five wrote, co-wrote the screenplay to Bad Lieutenant, and then you got me thinking, and I was like, is she the one that he goes and visits? And you're saying that she is. Yeah, that's her. She, yep. yes. She's not the. And, oh, she's not the aunt that's in the bathroom. She's a. Uh, She's the one. She, I think she's got red hair. She goes and he goes to see her to get high. She shoots him up, and then she ha actually has a great monologue as he's uh, passing out. Oh. A great monologue about how um, vampires are luckier because they feed on other people, whereas we feed on ourselves until we wither away and die. Mm. Yeah, yeah. A, a brilliant, heartbreakingly true yeah. uh, thing for the. Uh, yeah, that monologue. Know. That monologue was written on the day of. The, the shoot actually and she had to memorize that monologue mm. um within hours of shooting it um the and she was probably hot and she was probably hot oh, she was, she was. <laughs> it's 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 hinted that the drug use um on screen with her was real 
but the, she shot up Harvey Keitel with a saline solution. And oh. and he acted that, at least that's what they're telling us? Yes. Okay. Um, it's funny, there, there was an interaction between one of the producers. They had a nurse on set for that for that day of shooting of of her shooting up Harvey Keitel. And one of the producers was concerned and asked the nurse on set. And the nurse on set said, uh, this lady knows how to, it, to basically, this lady knows more about injecting people than I ever will. <laughs> Which, I mean, I guess you're in good hands then. That's someone you want to trust with a, a syringe full of saline solution. But, um, um, <laughs> I think it's it's important to note that while this there's a lot of drug use in this movie, it's never glamorized. If anything, <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. I, it's important. I think that's very important to show that um, if anything, it shows that um, that this character is just he he likes debauchery. That's basically all he knows, and the drug dealer is a family man. Yeah, who, who the, attempts the, to help him, no less, you know. Yeah. He tries to give him a little bit of a, you know, hey, man, and you need well, to slow down he, there. <laughs> what, yeah, he said this stuff's going to kill you. And what did he and, say? And Is this a Harvey, PSA? Like, <laughs> he's like, well, are you a drug counselor? Yeah, or a drug you, counselor or a drug, drug dealer. dealer. <laughs> yeah. Right. So um, this movie is also... I think given a bad rap for being anti-religious and i i just don't see it upon i think upon initial upon initial yeah it got a it got a lot of um controversy because it, it does deal with a very brutal subject this this poor nun is um assaulted and raped by two boys that it turns out that she knows and goes to the uh, the Catholic school. Right. I, uh, I found it to be not not to cut you up. I had to, to get on the uh, the that anybody thought that I thought that that movie from a faith standpoint was hyper as far as not so much hyper religious, but it showed the, the strength of her faith and her ability to forgive the most heinous thing. I think that was, if anything, one of the greater uh, advertisements for religion that you could possibly get, that someone could suffer this immensely horrible thing and come out like steel, whereas he folds at every turn and goes straight to the bottle, to the crack pipe, to the needle. He just, he cannot deal with anything sober. He can't even get out of bed, you know, straight to it. And uh, that's interesting that it was given that. Yeah, I guess because... You know, the the religious community always wants you to come out and be like, Jesus is the best and nothing ever goes wrong as long as you got Jesus and shit. And it's like, uh, no, shit happens because people are fucked up. So you know what's going to happen, man. So anyway. I yeah. think it's a, a case of uh, people getting to a certain scene in a movie and then not watching the rest of the movie. Because if, yeah. if you just watched up until the assault and rape of the nun, I could see people saying, uh, "This movie is anti-Catholic. It's anti-Christian. It's anti. It's anti-women." That um, scene is that scene is so over the top, though. You know what? I thought it was a dream. 
Sorry, go ahead. Oh, interesting. Like it's a dream. That's interesting. Yeah. But it reminds me of that church defacing scene in The Exorcist, actually. Mm. I mean, there was no rape. But, you know, what they did to all of the holy uh, altar. They they sprayed fuck on the Last Supper. So, um, a couple technical notes. Could you pass the fuck? Um, No, I couldn't give a fuck. Not to you, not to Judas, not to that lady. Who is that lady? What the... No, you could pass the fuck to Judas. (laughs) Yeah, you know, pass me the knife. Just give me that knife. A couple technical notes. Um... This movie was based on an actual uh, assault and rape of a nun in Spanish Harlem from uh, 1981. And one of the detectives that actually uh, solved the case and caught the guys in that actual crime uh, is cast as one of the uh, cast as one of the police officers in this movie. Um, and mm. in terms of the the production design, uh, the lead production design guy was very hesitant about defacing anything religious to the point where everything was covered in plastic wrap and then, then the, the derogatory then it was defaced he he was he was having none of it he and i could i could see where a lot of the material in this movie is controversial um, but it's also, it, these, these things happen. Like, it's not so far-fetched that somebody would do something like this, oh, you know? Oh, yeah, sure, 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 sure. Absolutely. Uh, the, I think, you know, I, I'll have to say that for, for most, at least for most of graffiti artists, do seem to respect the church <laughs> no other yeah. wall is sacred but you don't see too much but yeah shit does happen especially with people uh, that are you know amebriate or whatever and if my child had been uh, molested or raped by a catholic priest i probably would uh spray paint the fucking you know i'm excuse me spray paint all over uh wherever it was he worked even though it's not everybody else's there's fault but um i could see getting yeah. getting that intense over something so um, it's but... interesting because I've, I've been interested in Christianity as of late. So, um, this, you know, I was able to tap into elements of this movie that I, I wasn't able to before. Um, and when it's, you know, I just got to say like the, it's almost like pun- punishment watching this movie. Mm. And I really was gritting my teeth. Honestly, I was gritting my teeth. I was like, Oh my God! I'm only half an half an hour into this movie, uh, but then, but then, when the moments of clarity—I'm going to call it moments of clarity—when the moments of clarity happen, it does make up for it. You start. You there's a deeper. There is a deeper struggle that is going on with Keitel and with Abel Ferreira. Um, that. At first, you're like, oh, my God, who the fuck cares? This is just a guy going off on a tailspin. But then he really is trying to, you know, he, you know he's holding something down. He's covering something up um, that he doesn't want to deal with within himself. And when he finally starts to deal with it, um, we, we are at least given that, um, you know, we're grateful to receive that. Mm. Okay, mm. here's the pathos. Here's the, um, here's the self 
redemption, basically. It is very much a, a, a tale of redemption because initially I think he takes on this case because there's a, a, a reward offered. Mm-hmm. And I, he's thinking, he's money. thinking, yeah, it's all about money. And he even makes some very, of all, and the cops are just discussing the case and he's the only one that's making like off the cuff derogatory comments about the church he calls the church a racket mm-hmm. he says women get raped all the time and now that they got to put up 50 g's because um quote unquote this one wears a penguin suit mm-hmm. and he's he's and the guy says like what do you got against the church are you catholic he goes i'm catholic yeah and yeah. we're we're he's very much but then like you said it's very much a very selfish um, mission that he has. He wants to solve the crime because he wants the money. Mm-hmm. But over the course of you know forty eight hours, he reaches that that point where he has this um this kind of like you said a moment of clarity where he's talking to the nun and he he says to her that like he wants her permission to punish these guys mm-hmm. and she's not going to co sign this for him right and and he has this breakdown and he met he's yelling at uh hallucination he's a he's yelling at a hallucination of jesus he's saying where were you like how could like i like where were you when this was happening how could you let this happen uh why is this now my responsibility and he says i'm weak i'm weak i can't do it i just fucking can't do it and it all leads to, to him finding the two people that are responsible for this heinous crime. And you would think that he wanted permission. He wanted to kill these people, but he doesn't. And he because, actually yeah, smokes crack with them. Yeah, <laughs> right. He's one of them. He's one of them. And that's, I think, what that scene is about. Basically. Absolutely. Yeah. He's, and then he—I was so surprised. You—you you know what, um, Chris? We should. You—you you are going to make people aware that there are spoilers in our podcasts, right? Oh, that's a good yes. idea. Okay. Okay. Uh, you I, know, I didn't kind of go. I was just going to say, kind of goes without saying with these types of podcasts, but I'll—I'll I'll yeah. be sure to put a war. I'll be sure to put a warning um, in, in writing on wherever this is uploaded. Um, okay. But what well, I'm just. General, general, that all of them, any movie that's discussed on this podcast is going to be spoiled. Um, yeah, older because, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So let me, let me proper... let me hop on that. The reason I brought that up is because I wanted to talk about the ending. I didn't sure. know, I didn't remember what he did with that money. Uh, what is it, 30 grand? Yes, um, I thought, I thought I remembered that he gave it to the church. And, and I was, I was gabsmacked, ga- gobsmacked. Sorry, <laughs> that, um, that, he, that he gave it to the that he gave. <laughs> I love it. I was, I was gabsmacked that uh, that he gave it to the two boys when he sent them on the bus. Yo, they could take the next bus back. <laughs> What's he doing? He doesn't even know what he's doing. I what what the what the hell was that ending? I don't get it. Um. 
he he tells them that he's he goes you're not you, your name ain't shit in this town anymore i think he's i think he's kind of talking he's talking to himself and but it's coming out towards them you're no good in this town you need to get on that bus you need to never come back um, so he, he's sending himself on that bus figuratively speaking in a way yes i think he i think he's got he's come to the conclusion I think it's all kind of like it, it's all coming down around him. Uh, he owes the bookie, God, I don't even know how much money. One hundred twenty thousand. Yeah, and he's warned throughout the movie. This guy said, this, "This guy's no joke. He will come to your house. He will kill you. He will your kill family. your kids. Mm-hmm. He'll blow. He'll you'll, he'll blow your house up." And and he, to him, it's just a joke. He he laughs it off. He goes, "Now nah, give the guy an extra." 10 g's for he blows up my house i hate that fucking right and he says i'm the police (laughs) you know as if you're gonna mess with the cops you know and he he not only that but he also says i'm blessed no one can kill me i'm blessed as as he as he drinks his his drink his shot or whatever yeah midday (laughs) or whatever it is yeah or that was at the bar wasn't it yeah that night yep Yep. Yeah, so he does have a certain amount of faith, even though he seems to utterly have lost it the whole time, that he absolutely, absolutely believes that that badge <laughs> is going to shield him from whatever might uh, come his way. And um, not to be. I, but I, I think that it speaks to the kind of um, the kind of power that um, certain officers have well a police officer by definition has some sort of authority over other people but i think that this movie speaks to the people that that think that they're above the law Mm. that they're that um they could do whatever they want they could break up a bodega robbery and take the take the money themselves they can (laughs) leave the little girl alone oh my god right oh cowering in the corner the korean oh her yeah 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 and um, attempt to steal a kilo of cocaine in in front of his fellow officers. You guys, remember that scene? In front of a watching crowd. Yeah, the crowd right? and everything. Yeah, it's like the odd. This guy, this guy is the audacity on this guy. This guy's got a set of cojones on him to be acting like this. Yeah, desperate. He's desperate, dude. He's right. a desperate soul. He's a desperate soul, and you don't know if you want to get religious about it you don't know if his soul is actually saved by the end of the movie because right that's kind of what he's trying to do trying trying to do the right thing Mm -hmm. yeah yeah by the end it's a little it's a little too late yeah i honestly was like oh god it's it's not gonna end poorly he's gonna get the rehab and get a job at burger king but he'll be happy washing lettuce it'll be great oh shit travis i thought the same thing like about i don't know like three quarters of the way into the movie he's like he's like smoking on another crack pipe and i i was just i was like rehab it's time for rehab 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 (laughs) lieutenant needs to go into rehab now everyone will understand (laughs) but i think that speaks to to any uh not only a, a a cop but just an, an addict in general looking for redemption looking for um 
looking for some sort of peace outside of whatever substance that they've been abusing to a certain extent. Yeah, and just absolutely oblivious to the uh, hurricane of his own life. You know, just his he's got the one focus is get high and win that stupid bet on the World Series that he can give good advice to his fellow officers on way to bet, but he bets against them and loses and bets against it again. It just, oh my God, he just can't make a, he just can't do the right thing, you know, and only, yeah. only, only at the end does he, uh, like he said, get a little bit of redemption, finally um, doing the right thing. And then uh, you, then the, you, uh, as myself, as the, uh, you know, watching, uh, I'm torn you know, with the uh, doing the right thing there with those guys, because, um, you know, I uh, this uh, may have happened or may not have happened. A, a friend of mine got raped and I may have smashed the guy's head in with a hammer and my buddy may have thrown him out a window. He didn't die, man. But I certainly, um, you know, I'm not against uh, seeing people like that not breathe, you know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Yeah, intentionally, intentionally or unintentionally, the movie's filmed like you're an accomplice. Yeah, yeah, that's a good. Yeah, point. I'm like, pass me the crack. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, like a nervous uh, accomplice. Th yeah, there's a couple, at least for me. Not like the guy giving him a ride. That's like, holy shit, who am I giving a ride to? He said we were going down the street. <laughs> the fuck? I mean, I've been you're down that road. Oh god. Like there's a couple, uh, there's a couple scenes where the the camera's actually in the passenger, uh, the passenger seat of the of the car driven by Harvey Keitel. It's like you're a passenger uh, there with him, watching watching this man just self destruct, mm. and uh, then you're 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 put in as a as an observer, as a voyeur of some very truly disturbing things, uh, especially the scene where he pulls over the two Jersey girls mm -hmm. um, yeah. and, uh, and utterly degrades them. And uh, that's a, that's a particularly, um, a, well, I don't want to use the word offensive, even though it is, um, but that does get to you, doesn't it? And I want to say, uh, I watched this on YouTube. I don't know. How you guys are streaming your movies but i watched it on youtube and youtube cut it out they cut out they cut out that part they didn't cut out the scene but they cut out the the jerk off part basically mm. and you know what i had to do i had to go back on youtube and look at that whole scene on movie clips it was on so, youtube on movie clips but not on the youtube that i rented a bad lieutenant well i uh, can answer the i can answer that question for you you saw well, I can not a question. I can clarify what you saw. All right. You saw um, this movie was slapped with the NC-17 rating. Yes, um, it was. I remember that. But in order to get into uh, Blockbuster, it needed to have an R rating, and the almost the movie remained intact except for the very scene that we're discussing right now, that that scene was the most heavily edited to get an R rating. So I'm thinking that uh, when you rented it on YouTube, you got the R rated blockbuster version. Yep. I, that's it. I'm sure, I'm sure YouTube doesn't have NC 17 movies to tell you the truth. Probably. 
I've got yeah, a, probably not. I don't know. If... I had just moved to New York and I was working at the Moondance Diner, which I'm surprised isn't in After Hours. Um, I was working with Jonathan Larson, who wrote Rent, and Harvey Keitel would, would come in once in a while. And uh, so I would see him. And then later on, many years later, I was on set with him as an extra for the failed TV show Life on Mars. So I, you know, mm. yeah, I've shared space with Keitel. And I can actually, I will, I can actually, I can actually say a couple things about him. Um, I'm not going to on the podcast. <laughs> let's put it. No, down. let's not. <laughs> let's yeah. keep this. Re, I mean, speaking of bad lieutenant, relatively wholesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only thing um, wholesome about bad lieutenant was if you had some popcorn to eat during that thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I think even, sunflower oil maybe. Yeah, I think the boom operator was actually just holding up a dildo. It's like yeah. nothing was sacred in this movie. This That's like... right. That's true. <laughs> is that you know, Shaq? It's, uh, like, no. <laughs> it's like with with Abel Ferreira and Quentin Tarantino. I don't like their work, and ironically enough, I've seen almost everything, at least their early work. Um, so it's like these two directors that love, you know, getting into the mud, getting into the grime and the dirt, and uh, especially Abel Ferreira. And it's like it's I I wanted it to be my scene I think for a while, and then it became my scene, and I realized I didn't want it to be my scene. So yeah. Mm, mm. Now, <laughs> you, on uh, do you guys um, know Kokomo? You know the Beach Boys. Yeah, the song, sure. Well, I wrote a little something when you were talking about Abel Ferreira, and maybe we could like put it together, but it's Ferrari, Ferreira, Harvey's curly hair, oh, a crack rock, a broke block, forcing girls to fake cock, a sucking, up chucking, ooh, they could have cutscene when they raped the nurse, it made me feel so bad I need a hearse, wish I'd smoked a fuck some weed first bad lieutenant it is rough anyway (laughs) (laughs) i love i love i love it it much more than i actually even should that's just (laughs) yes so Um, we can put it together and the three of us harmonize that thing and kill it the script supervisor of this movie described it as lifting up a rock and then looking at all the what's underneath it, the mud, the grime, the worms, the bugs that that all leak out after you lift the rock from its uh from its place in nature. Um kind of like a car crash you can't stop looking at and um yeah, I'm not I think I've seen about half of Abel Ferrara's movies and they're all pretty they're pretty grimy. They're uh, very. They don't. It's not a. It's not a good uh, date movie with Abel Ferrara's <laughs> name attached, to say the very least. That movie is every reason you like pray not to break down when you're like driving through certain parts of town. <laughs> yeah, like, you're in a piece of shit car. You're like, please just get me, just get me out of here. Just as long as we break down just a little bit farther away. Oh my God. So, um, Abel Ferrara has collaborated with Christopher Walk- 
working on two projects that I know of, King of New York and mm. The Funeral. And he had initially um, wanted Christopher Walken as the bad lieutenant. And Christopher Walken wanted to do a much more comedic take on the material. And uh, he said, I know exactly what kind of performance you want. I'm not able to give it to you. Mm, mm. And Chris then Walken, one of the producers, Chris Walken one of the producers, yes, he said, I know exactly what you want, but I'm not able to give it to you. Um, and then one of the producers talked about how Christopher Walken was too elegant to to uh, portray the bad <laughs> lieutenant. And Harvey Keitel was the Hello. exact opposite. Yeah, um, that's true. Sure, I can see that. You and hand me that crack pipe, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I recommend if anybody wants to see a, a, what a comedic take on this material is, there is a uh, in-name only spiritual sequel remake reboot titled Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans, mm, which yeah. stars Nicholas Nicholas Cage, who is in full Nicholas Cage mode. So pretty much the bad lieutenant, but funny because it's Nicholas Cage instead of Harvey Keitel giving a, a, a gripping and realistic performance. Uh, Nicholas Cage is, you know, out well, of his fucking mind as usual. Yeah. If you're going to bring up the Nick Cage one, then we got to bring up Cameron <laughs> Diaz's bad teacher. Mm. Have you seen that? Good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> She's like doing bong rips in the car before going to keep teach her class. It's the same same setup. It's a comedy though. Yeah, it's not nearly as a horrific, but uh, yeah, no, it was it was decent, yeah. man. I haven't seen it in so long, I can't remember Jack, but I remember but, seeing uh, it back in I the day. I guess the 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 less said about bad teacher and cortical New Orleans, the better. So, uh, so the original. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. The original Bad Lieutenant, though. I mean, there are moments that are that are funny, and you do wonder. At least I wondered whether it was even uh, intentional to have it be funny because it does go over the top in certain areas. Um, and just, I found I found myself laughing. I think I found myself la laughing because I was detaching uh, from all the gruesomeness. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Now Anything. I, I have to say I was uh, extremely uh, satisfied when it ended. I'm so glad <laughs> to not have to watch any more of that movie. It is so well done. It is so hard to watch. Uh, you know, like, I'm not <laughs> yeah. even going to lie. I was like, I don't know what this fucking dude. <laughs> you know? But then it's yeah. like, but it was brilliant, you know, just absolutely captured just the sickening world of addiction and just the the underbelly and like the truth that a lot of people that are out there dealing actually are, do actually care they're just making money but they actually don't want to see people going to hell even though they're peddling hell itself you know it's like you know it, it's a, it, it captured it i know they did drugs because you wouldn't have that angle on that stuff if you did not come from that you, life you know yeah it, it, Abel Ferrara's quote was, 
that to make such a movie, um, it was necessary for the writer and the director to be on drugs. Oh God, is that what they did? And uh, you, you're now you sound like you're snitching on somebody, and this is the FBI tape from the from the court <laughs> when you're telling the court who did it. It was the Colombian douchebag working with the CIA. Um, <laughs> hey, now you sound good. Hello. All right, there yeah. you go. All right. But it was clear enough. So, but you could say that okay. again. Um. Yo, able. Uh, uh, Yes, take two. Uh, Abel Ferrara spoke about the drug use and, and said that it was necessary to to make such a movie that that he'd be on drugs and that the writer was on drugs um, because I guess to him that's the best way to get such a realistic depiction. Um, and like I said earlier, the, the movie is shot very much almost like a documentary. Uh, a lot of handheld cameras, um, and the whole—you—you you, you are, like I said, you're kind of a passenger, a voyeur. You're along for the ride, and I—I I think that the movie takes you to such dark places that it was imperative that we end on kind of a high note that this this man is put out of his misery, mm. so to speak. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the only sort of redemption that uh, an audience viewer could, could kind of have. Um, do, do we really want to see this character go into rehab? Uh, or do we kinda... Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, th I think it ended right <laughs> where I think it really it, that was a much uh, because I have a, I'm not, I'm going to go out on a wing and say uh, one trip to rehab was not going to fix this dude. Um, unless yeah. he stayed in rehab for like a freaking year. Cause that dude had like every possible problem. He's never dealt with his feelings and it's not impossible, but statistically speaking that rehab would have been uh, a good thing, but you know, he probably would have been back unfortunately. And I mean, so basically when he talks to the main guy, when his buddy who's been doing the betting deals for him, gives him the number for the main guy mm -hmm. and says, I'm, I'm done. I wash my hands of this. You can call him. You can call the guy yourself. And he does call the guy. He, he goes to one of his girlfriend's apartments to call the guy and he bitches the guy. He's high as hell and bitching. He's bitching this guy out who's could kill him. And then probably during that conversation does decide to have him put out a hit on him. That's probably when that happens. Mm. And then, so that hit is how we end the movie. Mm -hmm. So anything after that phone call that he does is pretty much moot. It doesn't matter. Yeah, he's going to die. He's toast. Yeah, he, he's never yeah. going to get enough money to get out. Actually, he could have gotten on the yeah. bus with those guys. <laughs> yeah, he probably should have gotten on the bus. Yeah, with those guys. you know. Yeah, got a couple extra minutes out of his life anyway. Um, but I personally, I think that the movie ended just the way that it needed to. I think that this guy, it needed to be put out of his misery. It's like taking old Yeller out behind the barn and just putting a shell in his head. Yeah, like they shoot horses, don't they? Yeah. Yep. Uh, I, I think that we were given enough of a redemption. Um, he didn't kill those kids. Like, we probably 
almost kind of wanted him to. I mean, part of me kind of wanted him to kill those guys. And maybe I'm an asshole for saying that, but I just think. But I think the redemption is that we're given is he is that they they they're no good in New York City anymore. They got to leave. And then he gets into his car and another car pulls up and that's the end of him. Yep. And, uh... and that is that is filmed unbelievably well with yeah. just that camera sitting there. Mm. It's like a stage. You're mm. like, it's like you're watching theater. And then the people, the public passing by the car, slowly figuring out that there's a dead body in that car and they start gathering. Right, because even the uh, the blast of the gun was not enough, you know, it was such a commonplace thing, you know, that people didn't immediately go, whoa, you know, yeah. it was like, did you hear, was that a backfire, is that, is that blood, is that, is that, Ooh, that's, uh, hey, yeah. uh, Miguel, come here, man, uh, yeah. what, do you, what do you think of that? You're right, you're right, you're right, <laughs> though, no one really responds to the, to the shot, it's, it's, they respond to seeing him dead in the car, yeah. you're right. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, because a bit amidst the uh, just the noise of the city, you know, it's just like another yep. thing, like another, you know, back of a semi open dropping a ramp down or a car backfire, yeah. you know, a gunshot yeah, it's, just it's blends port, in. It's Port Authority. Yeah. It's Port Authority. And then we've got the um, we've got a, a poster for Trump Plaza. I noticed yeah. all these you know, <laughs> advertisements. Yeah. Trump drama. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, now that I think about that not being noticed, you know, that's the whole movies like that. You know, these horrible things happening right under the nose of the entire city. And most people go uh, through their life uh, completely blind to the stuff that's happening. And even the right in your face, the city's like, oh, did you hear something? And I just like take somebody finally looking and like, oh, oh, they actually did shoot that dude. All right, and nobody even yeah. really cares that much then. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I got I got to second that thought again because um, I thought the same thing throughout the movie as he was going from one underworld to another and he's passing by apartment buildings and I'm I'm thinking to myself, there are people in those apartment buildings who lead you know relatively normal lives and couldn't even fathom this type of existence so in that way you really are kind of an accomplice to his uh he's kind of go- traveling through hades yeah, he's like, like dante like, yeah 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 and i i think he i think it's interesting and given some of the re- religious uh undertones in the movie i kind of see that last scene with him and zoe lund in her apartment uh, when she does her monologue about vampires, is kind of like his last rites. Mm, wow. And um, mm. the last rites are given to you if you're Catholic and you're 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 about to um, if you've got a uh, chronic disease or you're on life support. The last rites are given to you as kind of like your your blessing to go into heaven. And I kind of see that monologue that she does about vampires and how we as people feed on ourselves um, is kind of like his last rites. Um, and he's sent off into the final act of the, of the film. Yeah. 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 It is a, it is a, it's, you know, if it, if you told me it was a documentary, it would almost be a hundred percent believable, you know? 
If it was like a reality so, show, it'd be a hundred percent believable. So um, let's uh, work on our final thoughts here. My, uh, I, I think the the movie works because of Harvey Keitel's performance. Uh, the whole movie hinders on him. He's in almost every single scene, every frame of the movie is him. And we see him, we see like a, just a man uh, naked before our eyes, literally and figuratively, you know? Yeah. Uh, agree. And I will, I'm going to, you know, uh, I'm going to go ahead. Uh, cool. Uh, it's, yeah. Um, I, I would say, uh, I don't recommend this movie to anybody who is not, uh, spiritually sound. If you have a drug or alcohol problem in your life, you should probably avoid this movie until you, you feel good about your place in the world. Cause like the, the sickening thing about addiction is if, if I had seen this when I was like younger, I would have been like, hell yeah, sign me up. That's how crazy I, I used to be. Like, I would have thought that that was looked like a fantastic time. Like, that's how absolutely off the chain that, that I used to be. So, uh, yeah. And I'm fortunately am in that position where I could watch it and just go, damn, you know, I'm so glad I'm alive, man. Because that movie was tough. It's tough. It's tough. So, but I you think know, it, it, wait, wait, I want to say something. You know, it's interesting that uh, uh, Harvey Keitel actually was originally the lead for Apocalypse Now. And they filmed, they filmed, they filmed for a while. They filmed for a few weeks at least. And ironically, or coincidentally enough, another 1992 movie starring Harvey Keitel was Sister Act. With Whoopi ah. Goldberg. He's in that? Yeah. He's in everything. He was in Thelma and Louise around that time, too. <laughs> yep. Just uh, uh, a very talented actor, and I, I, I think that this entire movie um, is just just a tour de force performance, pardon the cliche. Um, <laughs> it's just... A, it, it's worth watching just to see an acting kind of a showcase. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly mm -hmm. when he's breaking down in that room, you know, with the, uh, with the prostitutes and, and stuff, in the church. So, yeah. Yeah. When he's, when he's That's... yelling, when he's yelling at Jesus, there's, there's a really funny part where he's like yelling and yelling and then he can't yell anymore. And he just looks at, looks at Jesus and he's like, what? Yeah, and, I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> it, it was uh, in a back... stop, stop staring at me, Jesus. Yeah, please. yeah. It, it really was. It, the The performances are 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 tremendous, and that that's the the savior of the movie. Because if it weren't, I, you know, it would just be a nightmare. I, I wonder how much is improved. Yeah, uh, mm. a great deal of it was improved. The, okay. the script itself, the script itself, only came out to be about sixty pages. And they were talking about how each, typically a screenplay, uh, one minute of film time is equal to uh, a one page of a script. So 60 pages equals about 60 minutes. This movie clocks in at just under an hour and a half. Um, I, I think there was a great deal of improv, improving 
by the majority of the actors in the scenes. And a lot of scenes were, were scripted on the day of, um, Abel Ferrar apparently is notorious for, um, his screenplays just being a way to actually get his foot in the door to get a movie made and that he kind of just makes things up as he goes. Um, and I, I, I think it works in, in certain cases. And I think this is certainly one of them where it's just a real tight movie. Um, it's an hour and a half of hell and you're going to feel like you need a shower afterwards, (laughs) but, um, it's, it's 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 worth it's worth the um the the mental torment that you might be put through seeing it yeah and i actually yeah. uh went through that right here i had to turn my ac off to to do the podcast so i'm gonna have to take a shower after this <laughs> when you were saying that i was like yep and i get to take a shower after it so anyone <laughs> with some final thoughts on bad lieutenant before we wrap this up uh, good pick. Tough to watch. Uh, appreciate you uh, taking me down that road. It's tough as it was. Uh, yeah, I think we... Travis, repeat that. You're cutting it out. Oh, uh, I was just saying thanks for the, uh, the uh, you know, uh, taking us down that road. I, 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 you know, I'm sure I never would have seen this in my life again. <laughs> and I don't think my life would have missed anything had I not saw it. But from the sake of... You know, great filmmaking. It certainly was. Uh, it, it's it's a great, well, extremely well made film. Period. And Andrew, final thoughts. Yeah. Um, I I don't know if I ever need to see it again. Yeah, um, probably never. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the main thing is just the the connection to New York at that time that, you know, after hours was in the eighties, I hadn't moved to New York by then, but bad Lieutenant, I was in those neighborhoods in that movie mm-hmm. a lot. So it, there's a lot of nostalgia and reminiscing about it. Uh, yeah. And then cut. So, and you know, the movie itself is good. It is good. I'm, I'm a little indifferent to Abel Ferrara, um, but that's after being an Abel Ferrara movie buff, like, I did go through a period of time where I watched everything he did. Up through... Driller Killer? What's that? I don't know. Wait, have I seen Driller Killer? Have I seen Driller Killer? I might have seen that. I know I've seen Ms. 45, but even Uh, up until... He did did a remake of um, either Village of the Damned or Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Invasion of the Body Snatchers, yeah. Yeah. I I saw that that in the theaters. Is Driller Killer about an evil dentist? No, okay. it's about a guy it, that, uh, <laughs> like a handyman. Uh, uh, we'll, discuss, we'll discuss this after the podcast. <laughs> Driller, drill killer. Uh, it, no, just let's let's wrap let's wrap this. <laughs> all right, that's um, my that's my two cents worth. All right, for for. Travis for Andrew. My name is Chris once again. Thank you for joining us on the Cult Film Podcast. We'll be back next week with Blood Simple directed by the Coen Brothers. Bye. Thank you all for checking us out. If recommend us to friends, like us on Facebook, like us on YouTube, wherever this podcast gets uh, posted. Um, tell us what you think. Give us your input, your critiques. We appreciate it. 
and Thank know you all that we again. will give you critiques back. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So once again, everyone, thank you for joining us. This has been Bad Lieutenant, and uh, we're signing off. Peace.